So, Candy, did you find out uh, what number you are on the Enneagram? <laughs> I did. I am a three. So, something that might also help you to understand a three better. Uh, my sisters and I are, I have a lot of sisters, by the way. <laughs> I have around six of them. So, <laughs> <laughs> around. Maybe more, maybe less. And so you have about six sisters. Yes, and when we were younger, we played lots of different games. And and one day we had this amazing Poly City set up in my room. So we didn't actually get to play with it that day because it took us the whole other day to create the city. Hmm. So we were like, okay, we'll play with it tomorrow. <laughs> and I kind of had a rule as a kid where I never was a kid where your parent had to tell me, go clean your room. I never got that to the point where... Um, when we had this poly city set up, I just couldn't couldn't re- resist it, and I so I got out of bed, and I cleaned the entire room up. And the next morning, what? my siblings were so mad at me. Well, this is Shyelle Dvorak. Welcome to the Crown Insider Podcast, Season Two. In this episode, we're going to talk about the Enneagram and how it applies to Christians. So today, we have a very special guest with us. Uh, Professor Stephen Jones. Uh, would you introduce yourself a little bit and tell us about your interest in the Enneagram? Sure. So I'm Stephen Jones, Assistant Professor of International Studies here at Crown College. And I experienced a lot of different personality tests in college. Um, I had planned to go into uh, missions work. And, uh, and so one of the things that uh, different agencies try to do is figure out, you know, do you have uh, things that you need to know about yourself or working with people uh, on a team, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So there's a, a fair amount of assessment that goes on um, mm. in, in a lot of different kinds of teams, but especially missions, that, that is true. Um, and so I felt like I had a pretty decent sense of who I was uh, based on different personality tests. Uh, the DISC was one that I'd used quite a lot. Okay. Um, and had actually uh, helped other people learn about it. Um, um, I taught for three years at my last school, and it was in my last semester there that I uh, became aware of the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. And at first I was really skeptical because I was mm-hmm. like, nah, I got this personality thing pretty well locked up, which is a ridiculous thought. Um, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I thought I did. And uh, so I took one of the free online assessments, and I was reading through, there were a few possible results. And I remember I was, I was reading through the description of one of the, uh, one of the types and that, that I came, that came out as possibly being me. I was like, and, and my, some of my students were there too, and they were also doing the Enneagram, uh, the okay. free test. And okay. I read it and I was like, oh, that's so funny. That's not me at all. And my students all looked at me and they're like, uh, that's definitely you. <laughs> and... That uh. was a little surprising. I was like, wait, what? Like, and so we started talking through some of the things. Hmm. And so me, I thought of myself as being really self-aware. Hmm. And uh, here, my students who knew me fairly well were telling me, yeah, I know this test is saying something about you that, That's uh, that you don't know. It was still like, it wasn't enough to convince me of anything, but it was a really interesting moment. Um, so There can be a very big disconnect between... The idea you have about your skills and your personality, I guess, and then the way other people might. So both, yeah, because you said both skills and personality and both 
because uh, I overestimated my skill at understanding myself. Mm. And I also um, thought I understood my personality in a way that was not untrue, but it was not very deep. What do you think about the idea of using personality tests to understand your own identity more? Yeah. So I had just, uh, I got one of the books. There's there a number of different books. I got one by Riso Nudson and okay. ended up reading it in Paris. I had just lost my job and mm. uh, a whole lot of complicated things behind that, but I, I just lost my job. I ended up in Paris where I did not want to be. At. And I was reading uh, the, the chapter of the Enneagram that was talking about my type, which I did not own as my own at that time. Okay. But as I was reading it, um, it, it talked about what it looked like at different layers of health, mm. uh, what, what, what that type looks like. Mm-hmm. And as I was getting into it, the, the further I read, so it starts off with like what it looks like healthy and it moves toward unhealth. <laughs> and so <laughs> the more I got into it, I was like, wait, this is looking really familiar. <laughs> um, and again, it's not so much behavior is more like why you're doing what you're doing. And so, and it really became a moment where I realized, and and I think this gets to some of what you're talking about. I I realized there were things in my life that I thought I'd been doing with good motivation um, that I had thought there were sacrifices that I was making for the Lord. And as I read this little short description of what my type, which again, at that time I didn't own yet as, as my own. I read what that looked like at a level of unhealth. And I was like, that is so me. And I have to Mm. repent of this. Like this is an area where I thought I was serving the Lord, but I was deluding myself. I was acting in a way that was actually all about protecting myself, not about honestly engaging in service, Mm. not about actually knowing Jesus so I suppose there's a bit of it that can go both ways of learning about that type and realizing what you realized, but then also the idea of if you're learning about that type and you're super focused on on how you are in that type, then then what do you do with that? I mean, it can almost become almost like a like an idolatry, I guess. Yeah. Um, because and I think that this is where some of the some of the podcasts that are out there and some of the ancient tradition related to the Enneagram are really helpful because the Enneagram number, right, the the type is not you. It's your false self. Um, it's hmm. it's the self that's built around protecting a core wound that got internalized uh, in childhood. And I don't know where, I don't know if certain people are predisposed, you know, whether biologically or if that has to do more with parenting or what. I don't, I don't know where the wound comes from. Uh, and different authors, it seems like, have different. So it's a ways shell of identity that you build around, around yourself it, yeah, to, to protect, protect yourself. Okay. Yeah. And so, so I think sometimes one of the risks is essentializing the type and being like, okay, if this person is, a, a, let's say, a six then that's who they are, hmm. right? Um, and that's not true. That is, the six identifies the strategy that they're using hmm. to, or the seven, whatever number it is, identifies the strategy that they're using to protect the core wound. Um, and in that way, if I, if I had, and I've, I've been around people who have done this, I don't know, if, I don't remember if I did this myself, but 
who who say because I am such and such a number, uh, this is the way I am, right? Because I am such and such a number, this is the way I will be. Because I am such and such a number, get used to me, right? Um, but that's like that's reifying that number. It's not the number's not a thing. Who you are? No, it's a it's. But there's a pattern there, mm. right? The people with each of these different types of numbers seem to be protecting a different wound, and there are certain strategies that seem to work with different wounds, and that okay. is consistent enough that the that there's a personality system built around that. Right. So, so everyone essentially has a wound. Right. So, I mean, it's some false belief okay. about uh, about oneself. Okay. Um, that's been internalized at the layer of identity. So if the Enneagram helps us identify our core wound, is that kind of what you're... Yeah, and the, and the false self built to protect that. And the false that. self. Uh, what, can be, what can be really helpful about realizing that? Yeah, I think... So, so it depends on what your goals are, right? But So mm-hmm. for me... Um, understanding my core wound, right, and the strategies that I'm using to protect that, mm-hmm. um, which is a, it, I would say it's a, uh, it is a lengthy process. Like even figuring out, it's a, it's a long journey to figure out even which number actually is the best description of you um, or of, you know, of that false self. Like I'm, I'm always really nervous when people are immediately jump to, okay, this is what I am. It's like, well, are you sure? <laughs> like, um, huh. and sometimes people have asked me, well, what do you think I'm, I'm like, I'm very hesitant to answer that because, <laughs> um, and, and I generally deflect because. Cause you uh, think it'll sway people. Yeah, for sure. Because, cause people latch on to something that has meaning and, and try to apply it to themselves. But interesting. Yeah. so, so in that process of figuring out, and really kind of testing out what strategies might I be employing to protect a false self um, to the extent that I cling to that. Uh, I am not yielded to Christ in that area, um, hmm. which means, which doesn't mean that I'm not in Christ, right? It doesn't mean that I'm not um a believer. It doesn't mean I'm not a child of God, but it means that there's something where I'm still believing something to be true that God does not believe to be true about me. Okay. So for example, uh, one of the types um, has the has the wound uh, of being the belief that they're worthless. Hmm. Right? So if I build my whole life around this idea that I don't have worth, mm-hmm. um, then then even some of the really good things that I might do, if they're designed to prove that I have worth and I'm not receiving worth from the truth of Christ, of right? Christ. That, that right. Christ speaks the truth over me, that I have worth because I'm an image bearer of God, right? That I have worth because he says I have worth. Right. Not because I've earned my worth. Then, then to that extent, I'm believing something that at the core is not true. And that's, and that's why it's a, it's a wound at the identity level. And that's something that each of the different types have. Have a different one of those. It's interesting to see, I guess, how the gospel speaks to each of those different mm-hmm. things. And, oh, it's fascinating. And it's part does of what's so beautiful. And say, you, you do have worth or... Right. I don't know what some of the other ones would be, but... Yeah, or you are loved, 
Like mm. you don't have to earn love. Mm. Or even though you can't make yourself clean, I've made you clean. Mm. Or even like, <laughs> or you are unique and wonderfully made and you don't have to prove that you don't, um, mm. or you don't have to be governed by your fear mm. or really you don't have cool. to make your own peace. Right, mm. like receive, like Jesus' invitation includes this idea of receive me as the wholeness that you are not, mm-hmm. and and that's where I think uh, the enneagram becomes a way to recognize where even if I've made my life look really good, if I am still protecting that core wound, then. I may not have actually invited Jesus into the be, deepest pain of because of you could who be trying to do things on your own and not recognizing that you need Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Professor Jones, what are your thoughts on uh, the Enneagram being mixed with Christianity? So, if it's mixed with Christianity in the sense of being like the Enneagram is part of the gospel, I would be really hesitant. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, but if, if the question is, if we begin to equate, do you love Jesus with, do you love the Enneagram? Like that's a totally inappropriate equation. Mm-hmm. Um, can the Enneagram be a system that helps me to discover ways in which there are areas of my life that I've not yielded to Christ? Yeah, Definitely. Like, Mm -hmm. but the point is always Jesus. The point's Mm -hmm. never the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. Uh, The point is always wholeness in Christ. The the point is to live into um, the reality that he speaks over us as his children. Right. That's, that is always the point. It's never, um, okay, move up through, you know, the nine layers of health and then move toward your (laughs) integration number and then you've arrived. Like that's not Christianity at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's this invitation to um, to walk into wholeness and to live into wholeness uh, and holiness. And I think it's a useful tool on that journey. Right. And same with how you talked about the difference between it's being your false identity and finding your real identity in, in Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, if you're finding your real identity in anything else, it's not your real identity. Right. Um, so if I, so, so, and I think that that's, so the Enneagram can be certainly applied outside of Christianity too. But I think there's this, this question of, so, so if the truest thing about us is that we're created in the image of God and that we have a broken relationship with God mm-hmm. and that there's an invitation to find healing in that relationship, the relationship between us and God, between uh, people with each other, people in creation, people in themselves. Like if those are all invitations of the gospel to move toward wholeness and healing, um, those, those are the things that are always truest. Mm-hmm. And... Mm-hmm. So to the extent that any system is useful in moving toward that, um, I think we can use it. I don't think we should use it uncritically. Um, and if it ever right. becomes the point, right, if if at some point we're looking around and we're saying, well, we've got a lot of, uh, a lot of good Christians here. And I mean, number one, we should be really cautious whenever somebody starts <laughs> talking about that, right? Because again, Jesus came for the, he said, I, I came for the yeah. sick, not for the healthy. But if we, if we start looking around and we're like, yeah, we got a, good, a bunch of good Christians here because everybody's using the Enneagram. Like what? You know, right. that's not, I, I, I would be really uncomfortable with that. At the same time, I think. Um, we can't better ourselves either. So it's, Bye. so there's this, uh, am I open to 
the work of the Holy Spirit in me to to bring me into like on this journey of sanctification. Yeah, that's that right. that's the journey that we're on, mm-hmm. living into the perfection that He's already spoken over us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's Christ's changing work within us. Right, and we're yielding to that. But I think again, that question of as I'm yielding to that, if I'm clinging to a core identity that's false, mm-hmm. it is difficult for me to yield that to Christ. Mm. To that extent, mm-hmm. you know, in that way, uh, this is a tool that's useful in identifying an area. And that, it, certainly that, that was the case for me and continues to be, right? Mm-hmm. On, on a regular basis, I realize that yeah. I'm, I have certain areas I'm like, oh, this thing that the Lord has called me to, this, this way that the Spirit's nudging me, um, I don't want to go that way. And if I interrogate that and I say, well, why don't I? Uh, very often the reason is because I still to some degree believe that false identity. And so I'm mm-hmm. still on this journey of sanctification and still needing to yield that to Christ and still needing the Holy Spirit to bring redemption. And uh, we all are. Yeah. Yeah. So, and yeah. So, and that's, I think, I think the journey element of it's really important. Yeah. So you said that the Enneagram has helped you somewhat with parenting. Yeah. Could you uh, explain a little bit about that? Sure. So in several ways. So as a parent. Yeah. If I don't know, and I didn't, when I was first a parent, I did not know what I was hiding from. I didn't even know I was hiding. Um, hiding. My what? wound, right? <laughs> like, okay. Like, I didn't even know I was hiding because I was like, I had it pretty well together. I was, you know, I mm. thought. And, um, and I realized now looking back, some of the ways that I was trying to actually answer some of the deepest questions about who I am by the way that my kids lived in the world. And so I was trying to um, be okay through them. Through them. Oh, which is interesting. Which is not love, right? Like that is actually about me. That's Almost not about like them. if they're doing okay and they're doing well, that's where you are finding your okay Identity. Yeah, yeah, and so for me and for my wife, that plays out really differently because she has a different core wound than I do, um, mm-hmm. and so the ways that she would try to enact, you know, her sense of okayness in their lives was different than how I did. But both of us were doing that because we had not, and and it's not like it's not like okay, now we're totally healed from this, right? We're in this long journey of sanctification, but now we at least have this awareness that there's a temptation to try to resolve our issues through um, things with our kids. And, and that's not a new insight, but the particular way it plays out, I think, uh, is you can think about it in a, in a unique and helpful way through the Enneagram. There are other ways that you can get into that general question of, you know, living vicariously. That's not really so much. It's more like, like I didn't want my kids to mess up in public because it reflected badly on me and my worth. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's not loving them. That's not right. that's not actually teaching them to live well. And that's not true either about your identity. Right. So. Yeah. And Jesus was ready to speak a different identity over me. Hmm. Was already. I just wasn't listening. Um, hmm. So, but then also as a parent, my relationship with my wife, of course, hugely impacts uh, things with our kids. Um, and so our journey of learning about ourselves was also a journey about, of learning about each other. And like, we realized, um, 
ways in which we had totally been missing each other without even knowing it. Hmm. Uh, we'd been married about seven years at that point that we started into the into this journey and okay. began to realize like, whoa, like I thought I, I, th- <laughs> I thought we were on the same Different page. Different wavelengths, yeah. Yeah, we were on, we, we were misunderstanding each other in really, really core ways and not even knowing it. And of course that impacts the quality of life for our kids. Right. Um, but right. then there's this other question of like, how do you parent? Right, and I'm just curious how, or does the Enneagram, has it helped you understand your kids better and what are some of the benefits of that yeah and risks too right yeah. <laughs> like there's, yeah. there's benefits and risks to it um i think to the extent that it's a tool to be curious about my kids it's been really helpful hmm. um and so one of the things you have to be really careful about is putting anybody in a box and this is like we were talking about earlier with right. um, with personality systems in general, there's mm-hmm. always the risk of putting people in a box. And I think with kids especially, it's really, really not something that you want to do. But if it's a way to be curious mm-hmm. about your kids to say, okay, what is motivating them? Mm-hmm. Um, and how can I mm-hmm. understand each of my, so I have three kids, how can I understand each of them as unique? Hmm. Um, and I th- suppose you can't actually really label them because they're growing so much. Right. So what we have observed are certain tendencies mm-hmm. in our kids. And so we've used the Enneagram as a hypothesis, right? Mm-hmm. Like, is this, is this, is this what's motivating um, this person, right? This young person mm-hmm. who is my <laughs> child to move and act and live in the way that they do. And what that question has allowed us to do is to really parent each kid a little bit differently, which I think if somebody just said that to me, I don't know, in a workshop or on the street or something, um, I think I would say, well, that sounds like favoritism or something. And I think the, Mm. what actually happens is, um, the opposite. If I treat all three of my kids the same, like exactly the same, Mm -hmm. if that were possible, but if I, if I, if I treat them each the same, then I will because there are variations in their personality, that that treatment, that parenting, will be more naturally aligned with some of the kids or one or two of them mm. than it is with the other one or two so of them. So it won't be the same. It won't be the same. So what is an attempt at equal treatment becomes uh, actually unintentional favoritism or unintentional unintentionally benefiting one or two and uh, not benefiting one or two. Mm-hmm. And so... By having a system to be curious about our kids and a way to think about that and a way to think about, okay, what, what is that behavior actually about? Um, hmm. It lets us get a layer beyond just kind of behavioral uh, modification-oriented parenting. Um, like instead of saying, no, don't do that, that's bad, say, well, what, what's that coming from? You know, what's underneath that, mm-hmm. um, which I think lines up really well with some of the cognitive therapy approaches to working with, mm. uh, you know, troubled youth and, and other things. But, but this thing of saying, no, there's more going on. Well, that sounds a lot like uh, trying to understand the root of sin, too, and and go to the root of why why people are doing what they're doing instead of just labeling it. Yeah, and it's not only negative. It's not, it's not only, you know, what is the root of a sin, mm. like what's the root of a sinful behavior? It's also, what's the root of this really wonderful thing that this mm. person is doing, mm. right? 
Um, and why does it matter to them that they're doing it? Um, so if somebody's expressing themselves artistically, what is motivating that? There are several different motivations that can come out of that. And some of those are more healthy to applaud than others. So the kid that is saying, look at this art that I made, um, don't I have worth now? If I'm like, yeah, this is great. Like, you're wonderful. Like, I might actually be reinforcing this idea that that child needs to earn worth. Mm. Um, Mm. Does that make any sense? Yeah. So there's like this thing of how do I step back when and appreciate the art, but then also um, recognize, even if I don't know exactly what their core issues are, like that... Um, there's probably something beneath that. And I want to be careful about what messages I, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I can cause them to internalize, but I want to be careful about what, which messages I um, repeatedly put in front of them. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, thank you, Professor Jones, very much for joining us on the Crown Insider Podcast. It was really great to have you. Yeah, it was fun to be here. This podcast was created by students in the content marketing team at Crown College. To contact us, send an email to marketing at crown.edu or find us on www.crown.edu. All material copyright 2019.